0: Hi everybody, you're very welcome to the day, today's Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we will study the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today is a Saturday, February the 4th, and my name is Audrey Ann, and I'm a recovered compulsive over from County Mead in Ireland, and I'll be your host for today's study. The co-hosts are Sue L, Tammy em, and Veronica C. If you have any questions during the meeting, please contact either myself or the co-host by private message in the chat function. Please note that the speaker Harlan G will be recorded for the duration of the study, however the question and answer session which follows will not be recorded. I will post the link to the previous week's recording in the chat function. We ask if you could please make sure to keep your microphone on mute at all times during today's study and also please turn off your video if you are exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from your screen at any time. And I will now turn you over to Harlan. Thanks, Harlan.
1: Thank you, Audrey. Thank you very, very much. I'm just so thrilled to be here. And I feel the pain of some of you who were complaining a little earlier. We're freezing here too. It's not even gonna hit 80, it's only gonna hit 75. So we're really freezing here too. Uh, No, I (laughs) I feel your pain. But the, uh, I, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful. I, on February 2nd, which was a couple of days ago, I celebrated my 44th year of attending OA meetings. And I'm just very, very grateful to this life-giving organization. Um, I, I I don't want to go off on a whole tangent here because we do have quite a lot of material to cover. When we do start, just to let you know, we're going to start at the beginning of page 76. We're going to start at the beginning of page 76. But I just wanted to take a minute to let you know that on February 2nd, it, it has been 44 years since I came to my very first meeting. It was a Friday in 1979, February 2nd was a Friday. And it was a freezing cold, miserable day in Chicago, absolutely miserable. And it was Groundhog's Day, as it always is. And two very special people came to my home in the back door and they pushed their way past the pizza boxes. They pushed their way past the Twinkie wrappers and the potato chip bags and all the rest of the chazerai, which is Yiddish for just crap. And they sat down in a squalid apartment and they let me know that the jig was up. I was going to this meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. They didn't say you had to go for 44 years. They didn't say you were going to have to do anything. They just said, you are going to go. And I went and it was it was tough. It was very, very tough. I saw a bunch of people that looked very much like you look tonight. I saw people who looked uh, normal in weight and I saw some people that didn't. But you guys were, I was 24 years old at that time. I was 24 years old then. And uh, you guys were 30 years older than me. You guys were wealthier than me or whatever you were. But it seemed that you had, you were plugged into something that I just did not understand. I just did not get. And uh, sometimes life is, is such that that occurs in my head today. But what happened was, is that for the very first time in my entire life, when I came to Overeaters Anonymous, it didn't happen the first day. It didn't happen the 10th day. It didn't happen the 30th day. But what started happening by and by was that I started understanding that the idea that I was so unique and my relationship with food was so different from everyone else's, that I believe that these thoughts, these, uh, these behaviors were secret and unique unto me. And one of the things that gave me great comfort was listening to the speakers listening to you the big book gave me comfort but also the speakers gave me comfort because when you would get up there and speak i heard you telling my story and i remember it was a thursday night at swedish covenant hospital and it was the 80s obviously and I went to the Thursday night meeting of uh, Overeaters Anonymous at Swedish Covenant Hospital. And there were two active treatment centers in the Chicago area at that time. One was at a place called Lutheran General Hospital, and that was called Parkside. And I still try to work some of the Parkside Stuff today. Like you'll hear me talk about eating food that if my great, great, you know, going back 10 generations, if my great, 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 whatever grandmother couldn't eat it, I don't put it in my mouth. I try to eat foods and they're as close to their natural forms as is possible. I don't eat processed stuff. And the other treatment center that was in Chicago at the time was in a place called Bethesda Hospital at Howard and Western, which is condos now. And that was called Rader Institute, the Rader Institute. And Dr. Rader wrote something in the Brown book of Overeaters Anonymous. If you look at the at the Brown book, we used to call it the chocolate book. Now they call it the Brown book. There are stories in there. Roseanne's story is in there and there's other ones in there too. And um, if you look in the back, there is a, um, there is something in there that is written by Dr. Rader. And he's the one that had that. He had a chain of them across the country. And they would come to our meetings. So these meetings were 100 people, 150 people, you know, if they were one. And we had greeters and secretaries and treasurers for every meeting. And the hugging just freaked me out. I mean, it freaked me out and I deliberately, of course, I was late for everything in those days, but I used to come deliberately late, so I didn't have to encounter the greeters, and I would leave early, a little early, uh, because I didn't want to, yeah, I didn't want to hug anybody, I didn't want anybody hugging me, it just freaked me out, but of course, to be very honest, I used to eat my way to the meetings, I would Pray for a Russian airstrike during the meetings, and I would eat my way home, which is part of why I was late and part of why I wanted to leave early. But it freaked me out. Well, anyway, this Thursday night speaker was Della, Della F. of Chicago. And Della's still around, Della's still in meetings. And Della was the speaker. She wouldn't mind me telling you that because I've told this story many times in front of her, and I have blanket permission to use this story. What did I have in common with her? Absolutely nothing. She was a Roman Catholic housewife on the north side of Chicago. She drove a brand new Cadillac Eldorado. She was she had all the accoutrements of a middle upper middle class housewife in Chicago. When she opened her mouth on that Thursday night, she told my story. She told the story of a double life. Of course, it's a little hard to have a double life when you're morbidly obese. But the way I was thinking and what I was thinking about, she described it perfectly. She talked about the financial ramifications of this disease. She talked about the social ramifications of this disease. She talked about all of the various things that had happened to her during her life at the hands of this vicious, merciless obsession and this horrible, horribly debilitating allergy of the body. And she told my story and it was like a light bulb went off in my head that said, I will never have to be alone as long as I live. I never have to be alone. There is a place that I can go. Now, the OA that I walked into, because a lot of you asked me, how has OA changed? I won't go into the whole thing, because I do want to get to the step work that we, that we need to do or want to do. But here's what I will tell you about the OA that I walked into on February 2nd, 1979. There were lots of differences between one group and another group. There was a group in Evanston, Illinois, and that group, was very heavily influenced uh, by a guy by the name of Fred who taught school in New York. He was a Brooklyn school teacher and he saw that people were struggling in a way. He thought that he could do, we could do better. And he did what teachers do. What do teachers do? They develop a curriculum and he developed a curriculum of ancillary readings and writings and questions that came to be known as the HOW program, Honest, Open, Willing. And he was the founder of the HOW program, and many of you probably are members of HOW today. You know, there are still a lot of people that are in HOW today, but Fred S., he was the founder of HOW. He's since passed away, but he was the one that got that started. And at those meetings, then in in Evanston, once you got up to step three, and you were about to start your fourth step, they would give you a house plant, and your job was to keep the house plant alive. And Besides that, they would have what's called a stepping up ceremony. And at the stepping up ceremony, what they were stepping you up into as you began your fourth step was sponsorship. Now, that flies in the face of what's in the big book. The big book says very clearly that. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. They circumvented nine of the steps and made you a sponsor after step three. And they encouraged you to sponsor people that were in one and two. Now, I appreciate the... um enthusiasm that they had to get you sponsoring. I share that because it clearly says on page 89, you know, uh, Nothing ensures immunity like uh, intensive work with other compulsive overeaters. But in order to get you there faster, I wouldn't circumvent nine of 12 steps. I would just move you through a lot faster. But these are just some of the things. We also read on page 76 until we told someone all our life story. So a lot of us spent a lot of useless time writing autobiographies instead of 10 steps. So we would write our autobiography out and read it to some poor slob in a park like I did on a Saturday afternoon at Greenbrier Park in Chicago. I read my autobiography to some guy, and on the way home from reading him my autobiography, I ate my head off, and I don't know whether he did or not. I only saw him a few times after that. I didn't ever get a chance to ask him what were his impressions of what he had just been through for several hours listening to my autobiography. And there were many, many people in many parts of the country that um, evolved into leaders. There was Bill B out of Los Angeles, Fred S out of New York, and there was a lot of uh, controversy as to whose way was the best and, and everything like that. And The OA that you walk into today, I believe we owe a tremendous debt of gratitude. And this is just my opinion. This is not fact. This is my opinion. And my opinion is we owe an enormous debt of gratitude to a vision for you phone meetings. And the reason that I say that is I have seen recovery rates go up. As the result of a vision for you, I have seen more retention as the result of a vision for you. And I think that a vision for you is really the renaissance of OA. Renaissance is a rebirth. Renaissance is a rededication. And they are the renaissance, in my opinion, of OA. Because what what vision did was they got us back to a very pure, uncut message. And the reason that we need that is, the more we vary from that, the worse the recovery rates get. So a pure, uncut, big book message, in my opinion, for me, is the way to go. And there are many people who don't want to work the program that way. And that's, God bless them. That's fine. That is what works best for me. So it's been a long journey. It's been a journey of personal growth. It's been a journey of seeing an incredible, incredible amount of miracles. And a lot of those miracles, I didn't even know were there until they presented themselves in very unique and very life-giving ways. Because what I've said for a long time, and if you're around this big book study, or you've been with me at workshops, or when I used to, when I used to go to in-person meetings, or you're with me on Zoom is... The growth in a way that I have enjoyed over the years is such that it is I, it, it's just unbelievable. but number one, I'm still alive. So that's the most obvious thing. Doctors have been signing my death warrant from the time I was a teenager. They had been signing my death warrant. and I'm not only am I still alive, I want to be alive. I'm embracing life as best I can. I'm embracing things in my life that have occurred, some recently, some not so recently, that have really made me understand that life is the most precious commodity there is and to embrace it and live it to the fullest. That doesn't come at the bottom of a chocolate milk carton. That doesn't come in a Twinkie pack. That doesn't come in a potato chip bag. That comes from working these steps and seeing the miracles. And I will get to this, probably the one of the greatest miracles I have ever seen in my entire life. And I don't know that I have the vocabulary to describe this is the genuine love that I feel from OA, not only for OA, but from OA. When I got divorced, when I have had tragedy in my life, when I have had deep, deep, gut-wrenching disappointment, the OA groups were there for me. I will remember forever the night that I was informed that my wife wanted a divorce, that she was in love with someone else and that this was the end of our 17 and a half year marriage. OA was there. I made a couple of calls. I couldn't even drive a car. I made a couple of calls. Somebody came and got me and took me to the Sunday night meeting at the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club. Somebody took me out for coffee. Somebody did this. Somebody. So when I needed OA, always showed up for me. In some small way, I am hoping sincerely that what we do here on Saturday mornings or what we do here on Zoom at our Scottsdale meeting is in some small measure a way for me to pay back what has been so graciously and generously given to me. It has just been an incredible journey. And last but certainly not least, what I have seen are the places that my feet have touched down that I never thought I would go. But that's just a geographic thing. What I've seen are places in my life that I am or were that I never thought I could get to, not in a million zillion years. I am so grateful beyond measure to be in a position to say, I've experienced this and it has been fantastic. And then one other thing I wanna mention before we turn our attention to step six and seven, I have seen your recoveries and I have seen your struggles over the years. And I've watched you as best I could. Your recoveries have given flight to me. They've given me wings to fly. Your recoveries have given me a euphoric, euphoric experience to see you. I don't mean you personally, you second person, plural, all of you recovering and going to the convention that we just had in Los Angeles, and hopefully we'll have a vision convention this year. And, you know, I'm going to Silicon Valley and maybe some of you can join us at the end of April and I'll be in Dallas in March. And, you know, that's just a one day thing, but I hope some of you will come, but to see the looks on your face, to see the looks on your face where you don't have to say a word, I just know you're in recovery. And to see the twisted wreck that the food reeks into our lives and to transform, to metamorphosize from that to a recovered human being is something I hope none of you will have to miss. This disease is an umglik. what is an umglik? It's a Yiddish word, it technically means bad luck, but what it really means is like a plague or a horrible thing. This disease will contort and twist and it destroys everything in its path. And no matter what your outward appearance may be, no matter what your situation may be, there is nothing this disease can't make worse. There is nothing this disease can't suck out of you and give you the will to die instead of the will to live. This disease will destroy anything and everyone in its path. They say the average alcoholic takes seven people to hell with them. I agree with that. And I think that the average compulsive overeater adversely affects at least seven people most of the time. And this recovery will elevate us, this recovery will resurrect us, restore us to a place not just as good as when we came in, but better, infinitely better. If we just keep working the program, those miracles are there for anyone and everyone. There's no one too dumb, too smart, too female, too male, too Catholic, too Protestant, too black, too white, too Jewish. There is no one here that cannot do the work in front of them. And last but not least, what I've seen in OA is I've seen miracles beyond my wildest dreams. That is the title of Roseanne's book, But I've seen miracles of resurrection in this program beyond my wildest dreams. And my pleasure, my honor has been to embrace you at conventions, welcome you to our meetings. It's just an incredible, incredible journey. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If I had a pill over here, and I could give you this pill, and I could cure your eating disorder, I would not give it to you. I would throw it in the toilet. And the reason that I would throw it in the toilet is I don't want to deny you this journey. I don't care where you are in in your journey. I don't care whether you're within 30 days of, of beginning or you're here for two, three, four, five, 10 years. Hang on, because if you work this program, the best days of your life haven't even dawned yet the best days of your life are still in front of you. When my dad and I would um, go places together, we would always run into friends of his. He had a lot of friends and a lot of my dad's friends, not all of them, but a lot of them were people who came out of the concentration camps, mostly Auschwitz because my dad was from an area of Russia very close to Ukraine and very close to Poland. But mostly Auschwitz, but some Dachau, some Bergen-Belsen, some uh, other ones, uh, you know, uh, Treblinka, things like that. But one of the things that they had in common as concentration camp survivors is they would grab my face like this and they would grab my face and and they would shake my head and they would say, live until you die. Live until you die. And the best advice I could give anyone, if you wanna live your life to the fullest is embrace this program. It is life-giving. We all have pain. We all have disappointment. We all have heartbreak. We all have that. We've lost people that we love desperately. And we've had many, many disappointments but this program is life giving work it embrace it you never know and last but not least before we get to step 6 if there's anything i've learned i learned it in july don't ask me what happened to me in july i learned this in july um but i will tell you this again don't ever discount the possibility of a miracle don't discount the possibility of a miracle in your life. And how do you bring those miracles about? Not by eating, but by embracing the work of this program. The work is difficult at times, but the wages are very, very high. I do not want to overeat. I, I am released from that and I am released. Happily. And if it can happen for me, it can happen for you. I am no different than you. Maybe a little chubbier, maybe a little more immature, maybe a little more silly at times, but I'm no different than you. And I will tell you this the miracles out there are tailor made by God for you. So it's been a long journey. 44 years and if there's anything I want to say in closing this part of today's big book study and we're going to get to top of 76 it's thank you all of you there's 170 of you on this line right now 171 as a matter of fact but there are 171 of you on the line this morning thank you so much Because if somebody would have told me on that freezing cold February day, so very long ago, when I was 24 years old, walking around in shoes that had holes in the bottom, walking around in the same pair of pants that I couldn't replace, walking around in an old, dirty, filthy, torn T-shirt and going with no coat in the middle of winter, that someday, now it's 172, this is like watching the stock market. If somebody would have said that 171 people would gather together to hear anything I would have to say, I would have told them they were out of their cotton picking mind, but that has come to pass. And if it can happen for me, it can happen for you. All right, let's get to page 76. But thank you all very much. Thank you. I love each and every one of you. Uh, I, I just do. Okay. We have been talking about step five last week, and we talked about the vital importance of step five. And what is, why can't we just, well, if God already knows everything, why do we have to tell another person about whatever? Why do we have to tell another person about all this stuff? The reason is because of object, excuse me, objectivity. We need the objectivity of another person, because as it says in the chapter, a solitary self-appraisal proved insufficient. So we need that feedback from another person. And if you're doing a fifth step, not doing it, not reading it, but you're the sponsor, you're listening to the fifth step. Your job is to move them through, be an encourager and also relate to them by the two magic words Yes, me too. Three magic words. Yes, me too. And don't go into a whole soliloquy, but very concisely tell them how you've had a very similar experience. They are scared. They don't know what you're thinking. They don't know how you're reacting. These are secrets that they have carried around most or all of their life. And they need to know, they need to see you smiling. So again, move them through, point out patterns. Be an encourager and give them the magic words. Yes, me too. And for the love of God, if you're listening to the fifth step, put your phone away, put your watch, you know, leave it on your wrist, but don't keep checking it. You're going to make people very self-conscious. Don't check your watch. Don't check your phone. These things will wait. I promise you they will wait. Okay. Top of 76, as promised, it took me a while to get there, but we're here right now. Top of 76, guys. If we can answer to our satisfaction, we then look at step six. Answer what to our satisfaction? On the previous page, it gives me questions. The questions that are on the previous page are during that hour of quiet time that we give people after they have read their fourth step to us. And it's, these are the questions. Are the stones properly? Uh, is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? Now, those are pertinent questions. Be on guard sponsors for a lot of perfectionism. Perfectionism is something that we have to be on guard on. Be on guard for it. If you see just two detail, you know, 8,000 resentments and 9,000 fears, that's probably not where the person really is. So, you know, temper things back down to reality. If we can answer to our satisfaction, we then look at step six. We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Now, are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things we have admitted are objectionable? What are they talking about? We're gonna use step four to look at, to see the destructive the destructive situations that the disease has wrought into our life. The people that we've hurt, the people that we have harmed sexually, the resentments that we've had, the fears, We don't make a list of people we need to make amends to in step four. We make a list of the resentments, the fears, and the sexual harms done others, and in doing so, we will get in touch with reason, we will get in touch with harms. We will get in touch with different things because when we resent someone and we fear someone, chances are excellent that we have harmed that person. So if we have, we're going to look at our part in things during step four, and we're going to see where our part is in these things. So. It is not a new list, it is not a new situation, it is a revamping of step four. Do you want to be rid of these things? And if it says we've admitted that they're objectionable, we're not talking about behaviors now, we're talking about defects of character. And I wanna make a very clear distinction this morning between a behavior and a defect of character. Is yelling at your husband, a defective character? No. Is perfectionism a defective character? No. Is being late for work a defective character? No. Is finding fault with people a defective character? No. The defects of character, and there are people who take the sixth and seventh step, and there's nothing in this text There's nothing in this textbook that says to do that, but it has become very common in OA to overcomplicate, overdo things, very pedantic readings, very pedantic writings, very copious, all kinds of things coming out. No, here are the defects of character, fear, resentment, dishonesty, selfishness. Those are the defects of character. The behaviors of perfectionism, perfectionism is a child of fear. I'm afraid if I'm not perfect, you won't like me. You won't accept me. You won't think I'm good. Yelling at your wife, yelling at your husband, that's not a defect of character. That is behavior that comes from the defect of fear or the defect of anger or the defect of dishonesty or selfishness. Those are the defects of character, not the behavior. So I want to distinguish between behaviors that may be destructive to you and the defects of character that give birth to these behaviors. Very important that we know this. And there are sponsors out there that I hear about all the time. They're having their sponsees do essays and lists of their defects of character. I got a call a number of weeks ago from a woman in Boston, and she told me that she had a hundred and some defects of character. And I said, no, you don't. And she was flabbergasted. I said, nope, those are not defects of character. Those are behaviors that are born of the defects of character. Once again, the, 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 Defects of character, fear, resentment, dishonesty, selfishness, those are the defects of character. And these other behaviors are spawned from them. I want to make a very clear distinction. I know in the questions and answers you guys are going to have all kinds of questions about this. I remember last year it was gangbusters when we came to this uh this page because a lot of you, you know, you well what about this and no, those are behaviors. So let's we'll cover that in the Q&A, but I want to just let you know now we are not we are not addressing behaviors just yet. We're gonna look at those behaviors as we progress in our in our program. But what we're looking at again, once more, fear, resentment, dishonesty, selfishness. Those are the defects of character. The behaviors spawn from them. Okay. Can we he now take them all? Every one? if we still cling to something, we will not let go. We ask God to help us be willing. Why wouldn't somebody want to be rid of dishonesty or selfishness or fear or resentment? Because to one degree or another, these were the arrows in our quiver that helped us survive to get as far as we've gotten. If I can't lie how am I going to do business? If I can't steal, how am I going to do business? If I can't cheat, how am I going to do business? If I can't lie, how am I going to be in my marriage? What's it going to be like if I can't lie? I'm not saying if your wife comes up and says, does this dress make me look fat? Yeah, it does. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you say that to somebody. But what I'm saying is, You have to take a good look at these behaviors. You have to take a good look at what's going on here. And then look at the defects, not the behaviors just yet, okay? So this is what we're asking God to rid us of. And Bill, the sixth step is 30 seconds. If you're doing your step six and it's taking you longer than 30 seconds, you're probably doing it incorrectly, you're probably doing it incorrectly. All that step six is in the big book is you're asking God to be willing to let go of the defects of character. When ready, I've looked at the step four. I've remembered what I talked about in step five. I don't want to repeat this this garbage I don't want to hurt anyone anymore because ultimately I'm absolutely hurting myself I'm absolutely not doing myself any favors here by continuing to lie and cheat and steal and manipulate it feels good for a while it works for a while but look at my life my life was in a shambles did it really work no I thought it worked. It gave the impression that it worked because I got results to one degree or another, but I also was eating myself to death or bulimia or anorexia. Now, I'm not bulimic. I'm not anorexic. But for some of you that are on the other side of the coin, you felt as if you had no choice. You felt as if what else could I do? famous last words what else could i do so we continue to harm ourselves we continued these addictive behaviors because we were we felt very trapped by the world now we're looking at these defects of character and we're going to ask god in step 7 to help us be rid of them when ready we say something like this my creator <clears throat> i am now willing that you should have all of me good and bad I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. Is there anything in there about reading Drop the Rock? No. Is there anything in there about a written assignment? No. Is there anything in there about writing your hands off about your defects of character? No, you've already done that in step four and you've given it to another person in step five. I'm not saying Drop the Rock's a bad bad book. I have it. I'm not saying that reading Drop the Rock is gonna ruin your life. No, it didn't ruin mine. But you don't have to do that to complete these steps. You already have the information in front of you because you've seen the horrible destructiveness of these defects as they ransack your life and ransack the life of the people closest to you in your disease. This disease doesn't just affect what you eat or what you don't eat. This disease affects everything from the way you walk down the street, to the way you brush your teeth, to the way you stand in line at the post office. This disease affects everything in your life and the recovery will touch everything if you keep working that recovery. The disease is not a unilateral condition. It doesn't just affect what you eat. I wanna say that again, because a lot of times we lose sight of it or no one tells this to us. It is about the way you breathe. It is about the way you treat people. It is about the way you allow people to treat you. It is about many, many things. And this disease is only remedied through a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. So we've completed step seven. And if step six and seven take you more than about one minute, show me in the big book where what you're doing to to protract that, to lengthen that, show me where it says to do that. It's not in here. It's just not here. There's nothing here about taking your character asset list, which doesn't exist in the big book and taking your character asset list and giving it to somebody, it doesn't say anything about that. Now, I also wanna get into something else that can be a little controversial. This is also the point before we get to step eight where you need to introduce step 10. Remember that in the instructions for step 10, it says we vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. What steps do we use to clean up the past? Four through nine. The inventory process is not four. It's four through nine. That is your inventory process. It doesn't do us any good to identify resentments, fears, and sexual harms done others, unless we plan on doing something about it. We're like the stock market here. We just hit 180 people. But the bottom line is we're going to look at these things, and now we're going to do something about it. I can't face you if I've harmed you without step 10. I can't possibly do it. Fear is going to come up anger is going to come up. All these various things are going to come up. So I need step 10. So if you're a sponsor, get your sponsees doing step 10, right as you're coming out of five like that, right as you're doing it. Okay. Now we're going to talk about step number eight. And there is writing involved in step number eight. Now, a lot of people, they they like these writing assignments. I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying there's no justification for them in the big book. There's no writing in any step in the big book except four, eight, sometimes nine, because you have to write letters to people that are either dead, can't be reached, or shouldn't be made amends to. So to just to summarize, here are the steps with prescribed writing assignments, four, eight, and sometimes nine. That's it. There's no writing involved in any other step. The only thing that I will say where there will be some writing probably is in step one. I have people Write down, you know, f- so that they know their allergic foods, maybe their food history, how did you come here, things like that. So I've adapted some of those writing assignments in step one myself. I'm not completely free of them either. There's no writing in two, there's no writing in three, there's no writing in six, there's no writing in seven or 10 or 11 or 12. Okay. So let's clear that up right now. Let's really clear that up right now. Okay. Let's continue. And we're going to talk about step eight. Now we need more action without which we find that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead was Ann Smith's favorite Bible verse. I am not Any way, shape, or form versed in the New Testament, but I am led to understand that that comes from the book of James, that this quote is from the book of James. If I'm wrong, you can let me know, but this is my understanding. Let's look at steps eight and nine. We have a list of all persons we had harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory, and there's another shtick. There's another shtick that we used to do. We used to burn our fourth steps. We would go out and burn them. Don't burn them so quickly. First of all, you might start a freaking fire. And number two, you need that inventory to do uh, eight and nine. You need that inventory. So it's very important that you don't burn them. And if you do burn them, for the love of God, be careful. When I was a kid growing up in Chicago, people used to burn their leaves in autumn. You'd see this big pile of leaves and somebody would come out and set it on fire. And that was how they got rid of it. But that's environmentally not so good. So you can't do that in Chicago anymore. I don't know if you can do it in other places, but I know you can't do it in Chicago. We subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. Now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris, which has accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we're running on self-will and we're attempting to run the show ourselves, what defective character does that speak to? Selfishness. Selfishness is the script that we have to try and get the lights, the ballet, the scenery, all the actors arranged in our way. We're trying to get everybody to do our bidding and that just doesn't work. We had to quit playing God, it didn't work. So the the defect of selfishness, self-seeking is the actions we take to get people to stick to our script. Okay, so if you want to throw in self-seeking as a defect, you can do that. That's fine. It's in step four. It's not in it's not mentioned in step 10. But so we're talking about this selfishness. Selfishness usually leads the procession when the defects of character are, are, are ransacking us because we want everything and everybody to stick to our script. And that's probably not gonna happen. And if it does for a while, people see through us and they retaliate seemingly without provocation and they hurt us. And then the resentments and the fears come in. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. Remember, it was agreed at the beginning, we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. Remember on page 58, and it says, if you want what we have and you're willing to go to any length to get it, Then you're ready to take certain steps. Well, they're calling your cards now. They're calling you out. They're calling you out. Either you are willing to do these things or you are not. And one of the things I am going to have to do, I'm going to have to go back and pay the money back that I took from other people. I am going to have to go face people that I harmed. I am going to have to now go to people that I lied to. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. So I need step 10 so I can process my fear. I can process my resentment about that situation, but you don't understand what else could I do? So we blamed others and we justified this errant nonsense on other people. If my wife hadn't have done that. And if my father would have done that and my mother was crazy and my mother was nuts and she had three personalities and you know you, you th- that's all garbage now I was an adult I took action I need to make restitution forget my mother forget my father forget whatever forget who's on first and what's on second it doesn't matter now I'm going to go out and clean up the past we ask for the willingness to do so bottom of 76. Probably there are still some misgivings. As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel diffident. Diffident just means timid or shy. That's what diffident means. Diffident means timid or shy about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. Let us be reassured to some people we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. You don't have to tell people, hey, I'm working a God program and I want a spiritual awakening. First of all, they don't care, some of them, and some of them don't want to hear about it. You harm them. You're in their office or you're in their presence. You're in their home or you're at the coffee shop or wherever you are, Peter Jungle, and here you are, you owe me money. I want my money. You did this, I want restitution. They're not interested in in the spiritual aspect most of the time. If they are, tell them. If you don't want to tell them, don't. Don't. You don't have to tell them, retell them your whole life story. You're there to make amends. And sponsors. When you are working with people in this step, eight and nine, Make sure that the person that is sponsored understands what they are making an amends for. What did you do to harm that person? A lot of people have made amends to me over the years. I didn't know them and I never heard of them and they didn't do anything to harm me. They've made amends to me because they thought I was a jerk. They thought I was a blowhard. They thought I was lecturing them. They thought I was whatever. I was tough or I was whatever I was. You don't need to make amends to me for something that you're thinking. You need to make amends to someone because you harmed them. You harmed them. We don't make amends to people for what we think we make amends to people for what we do. Is, I hope that's clear. Sponsors, make sure your sponsors understand what they are making an amends for. It's very, very important that we know what we're making an amends for. Top of page 77, very important. We might prejudice them, referring back to telling them about the God thing. At the moment, we are trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in itself. Now, the next sentence that I'm about to read is pure, undiluted Oxford group. This comes out of the Oxford group. The Oxford group was a group of people practicing first century Christianity to the best of their ability. And in the Oxford group movement, they had an expression, are you being maximum? And if you were being maximum, that meant that you were serving God. They accused Bill Wilson, especially in 1936 and 1937, of not being maximum. Because Bill Wilson would say to them when they would pressure him to bring in people from Wall Street instead of the drunks, he said, God has clearly shown me that my work in life is to be there for the drunks. And they'd say, no, you're not being maximum. Bring in the guys from Wall Street. Now, what did the people from Wall Street have that the drunks did not have? Money. The Oxford group wanted the guys from Wall Street because some of them had money. Even though it was the height of the depression, they sure as hell knew they weren't gonna get any money out of the drunks. So they wanted Bill and they'd say, you're not being maximum. Bill had had his fill of it. And in 1937, he pulled the groups out of the Oxford group And what we didn't know yet was that AA was on its way to being born at that time. But this next sentence is the Italian salute back to the Oxford group. And what does it say? It says our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. I have never in my life felt as close to God as when I do the work of this program. This program has shown me that if I'm looking for God, I will most often find him in the face of one of his children. If I want to infuse God into my life, I can pray and I do pray every day. I'm a strong believer in God. I'm a strong believer in prayer. I'm a strong believer in in meditation. I'm a strong believer in that. But nothing, and I mean, nothing brings me as close to God as quickly as looking for God in how I can help one of his children. Now, if I make amends and you're gonna hear me talk about Some of my amends as we move through next week, we're going to be talking more about step nine. We're going to leave step eight. And next week, I'm going to share things with you about some of the amends that I've made through my life that have brought me infinitely closer to God than I ever thought I could be. But if you're looking for God, and I can't emphasize this enough, maybe you're just getting started and you're having some food thoughts. Maybe you're just getting started and you're having some bulimic thoughts or some anorexic thoughts, or you're just confused and you're frustrated. If you want a quick infusion of God into your life, go help somebody else. Go give to somebody else. I guarantee you, if I don't know anything, that will work. It will work. And you know how you can help some of them? By saying, hi, I was thinking about you and I decided I would give you a call just to see how you're doing hi, I heard you share at the meeting the other day. Uh, You know, I thought your share was great. And maybe tell them something specific about their share. Don't patronize them. Give them something specific. These are smart people. You can't bullshit a bullshitter. Don't try to throw something past these people. They're not stupid. Give them something specific. Don't patronize them. And the, the other thing that I would say to you that is of the utmost importance is be ready for miracles, but make sure you're doing the work. Make sure you're doing what's necessary to serve God. Be of maximum service to God and the people about us. It is one of the most important sentences ever written, and it is in this book. Do not worry about what you're gonna get out of this. Do not worry about the return. We are not in the results business. You may call someone who doesn't want to hear from you. You may call someone who tears you down. That's okay. You made the attempt. I've been in phone sales my whole life. Sometimes I have the best of intentions and I get told I'm not interested. What are you calling me for? I don't want to talk to you. You just go on with your day. Don't take any of it personally. Don't take any of it personally. Just keep going. Very, very important. Let's finish this paragraph. It is seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we have gone religious. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. In other words, you're making yourself vulnerable. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? We may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message, but our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. He is going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. What does that mean? He's more interested in, you're sorry for what you did, and here's how I'm going to make it right. Is there anything else I can do to make this right? Is there anything else I can do to make this right and that is what's important that's what is going to give you recovery and so um, it's very very important as we look back as we review today we see step six and seven quick schnell on delay it is a very quick thing and there's no reason to make it anything other than what it is. It is a, if if steps six and seven are taking this, are taking more than about a minute total, you're probably doing them incorrectly. There's no instruction in there to go right. There's no instruction in there about essays or lists of defects of character. There's nothing in there about drop the rack. There's nothing in there about any of it. So if you want to do those things, I'm not telling you you're wrong. I'm just saying it doesn't reconcile with the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It just does not. Step eight is very simply a list of people that you've harmed. And if you are a sponsor, make sure that this sponsee of yours knows what is it that I did to harm this person. We don't make amends because we're not friends with them anymore. And about 20 years ago, I went my way, they went their way. And I'd like to connect with them again. That's not a reason to make amends. That may be a reason to reconnect, but it's not a reason to make an amends. Make sure you know what you did to harm that person. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna give this back, but before I give it back to either Sue or Audrey, or I don't know who, uh, I wanna just ask you this. Please, 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 if you asked a question last week, lay back, stay back, let somebody else ask a question. And if you are asking a question, make sure you get to the question and no math, And please, for the love